Welcome to Real Estate Investing Abundance, the show for busy, fulfilled professionals like you to learn how to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. Now, here is your host, Dr. Alan Lomax. Hello, enlightened investors. Thank you for being with us today. I'm your host, Dr. Alan. A crucial component for success in real estate investing is broker relationships. Today, we explore how we can build better relationships with brokers so that we have more investment opportunities. Stash Jelazinski is the Managing Director of Capstone Cincinnati office. He has successfully navigated transactions ranging from private capital to structured professional equity and into large institutional quality assets and clients. With a focus on multifamily, he's helped facilitate the transfer of a range of property types from conventional suburban garden style communities to class A urban infield projects, as well as high rise throughout the Midwest and Northeast. Additionally, he and his team have transacted student properties and have developed sites for affordable and market rate opportunities. So Stash, share a memorable experience from your formative years that helped you to be who you are today. Sure. Well, Alan, thank you so much for having me. You know, I think as it relates to brokerage and and how I got here, you know, I was active in in sports as a kid growing up. And, you know, there's definitely a competitive nature to a career that I've chosen. And also, you know, I think the sports growing up helped build a lot of self-reliance. And, you know, if it's if it's to be, it's up to me sort of thing. So I think those were instrumental in help building, you know, the character that it takes to, to be successful in the brokerage practice. And then, you know, I think how I ended up in real estate is my mom was a residential agent and she ended up passing, but when I was, when I was younger, but I saw that she was successful in this field and wanted to follow in her footsteps, but didn't want to cart people around in my minivan. So once I learned that commercial real estate was a thing, I was like, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. So I think those are the formative things that brought me generally to where I'm at. Did you go straight into commercial when you entered the real estate business? Or? Yeah. I graduated from St. Lawrence University in upstate New York. I have a degree in psychology. I went to Boston for a year to try and get into the field there. You know, unless you went to BU and BU or BC and played hockey, probably wasn't going to happen. So I, I ended up in Southern California where my mom's family's from and took a position, unpaid position as a junior in a, a multifamily shop. And we syndicated a couple of properties early on. And you know that, that was enough to give me the bug of wanting to continue. Yeah, the goal was to be in Southern California and be in commercial real estate. I accomplished the goal. It just happened to be 2008. So my timing was not great. Yeah, uh, uh, Southern California really suffered in 2008. Well, Everybody did, but Southern California in particular. Sure. Yeah. So having had the early experiences that I did, I found an opportunity here in, in Cincinnati and came here and kind of the, you know, the rest is history, essentially. I'm glossing over a lot of it, but, you know, it took a lot of hard work and, and dedication. As a broker, it takes probably two, at least two years to get traction in any market. And that's if you're working with team or not, like, but for you to build kind of your own practice, it takes, 
it's not a get rich quick sort of thing. So it, it takes time and dedication. And But, you know, I've always found the harder you work, the luckier you get. That is for sure. Well, you talk about building trust as a mutual action, and I'm assuming you mean that is trust between the brokerage, between the your sellers and your buyers. So talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, absolutely. So the brokerage practice and in transacting of real estate is based on trust. As a seller, you're looking for a broker that you can trust is going to represent your interests to the fullest and to get you the highest and best price and terms that the market will bear. So you have to trust that your broker isn't going to betray you as the seller in the transaction by just going to a buddy and saying, hey, you know, this guy will will sell for for this. A good broker is going to go out there, canvas the market, make sure they qualify the buyers appropriately and get somebody to the table who's going to close at the price and terms generally that they've promised. On the flip side, similarly, we have to trust the buyers that they are going to do what they say they're going to do. We vet them with conversations, with relationships, with checking references at times when necessary, lender references, previous transactions. You know, it's doing what you say and, and saying what you do. And you know, once trust is lost, it's very difficult to get it back, as, as with almost anything in life, right? Absolutely. But of course, with, with commercial real estate, there is a whole lot that is on the line, at least financially. And if deals go bad, it's going to be expensive and it's going to not just be in terms of finances, but it takes commercial properties anywhere from six or more months to generally close. So that is a huge time commitment on the part of the broker. And so it's I can see why once that trust is broken, it's going to be very, very difficult to reclaim that, whether that's from a seller or from a buyer. Well, tell us a little bit about how it is that a seller can break that trust with a broker. Well, a seller can break the trust by being dishonest and misrepresenting you know, the material facts of the property or the situation that they're in or manipulating financial, providing false financial statements. You know, those are, we have, we've dealt with some folks like that in the past. And if we get the deal done with them, there's somebody that we're not apt or want to go back to later. So what about sellers who put the offer out there? And then after you put time, effort and energy marketing, they pull it from the market there. Yeah. That's another great way to bust a relationship. You know, there's, uh, I can think of an occasion or two where, you know, we've gone out, we had a, a deal that was right about to go pending, right as the pandemic was occurring. And our seller couldn't fathom why somebody would be worried about what was, you know, this was early, what was it, 2020, March, April of 2020, and he wanted it closed tomorrow, mm-hmm. essentially. And it's like, you know, this is an extraordinary thing that we're going through right now. Have a little patience. So, you know, that was a relationship that I don't, I don't think, I know I'm not eager to, to revisit any transactions with him because I don't feel like I can trust him, truly. You know, we see it more often though on the buy side as, as a buyer comes in, you know, especially in today's market, it's a seller's market. And so buyers will sometimes come in with, we don't always advise our clients to take the best price because it's... It's about, we had a transaction we just, we just closed where 200 plus unit deal, low 20s, low $20 million price. 
And the the buyer that we selected was maybe 500,000 short of the next bidder. But in calling, we had the buyer we selected was a known buyer in the market. They weren't, a, in this case, they weren't a new to market group. And we called on their references of previous people that they've transacted with both sellers and brokers and lenders. And everybody had you know, glowing things to say. Whereas the group that was higher, you know, we've had groups come in and, and be that highest price. But, it, you know, if you select them, sometimes you're in, into it for a roller coaster. That comes in the form of a retrade or renegotiating uh, after due diligence or right prior to due diligence being removed. We don't see it as much now, but sometimes, you know, those retrades can add up to thousands of dollars or, or even millions of dollars. So a retrade is a great way to break some trust if it is for the pure motivation of just getting a discount. You know, if again, going back to our sellers, if they have misrepresented something or didn't share something with us that then comes up in due diligence, well, okay, maybe, maybe a retrade or, or a discussion of, of price or terms is appropriate at that point, but retrading just for the sake of getting a better deal is discouraged always. No matter what market you're in. We'll be right back after a brief announcement. Are you a busy professional, passionate about the work of your calling, yet realize that even though you love what you are doing, you're exchanging your time for money? You know that if you were to lose the ability to exchange time for money, your financial well being will be in jeopardy. If you can relate, I have great news. Steve Tucker Capital is an investment company designed for professionals to develop financial independence built on solid passive real estate investments. Remove the anxiety of an uncertain financial future and go to steetalker.com. Get your free one-page 10-step guide to passive real estate investing. Right. And in a seller's market, that's definitely something a buyer probably doesn't want to do if they want to continue working with brokers. Sure. Because yeah. word gets around, it's not just you. It's uh, it's your colleagues that are also working as brokers who are going to hear about that. Yeah, and so of course, the closing deals on time. Buyers do have some control over that, but it's really the lenders who really are going to be controlling that closing time. So, how is that a responsibility placed up on a buyer, and how can that break trust with a broker? People that drag their feet is what causes the lenders to then be delayed. So in some of the contracts that we have, it says, you know, you've got to apply for a loan within say 15 days of the effective date. And so if you're doing that, that means you're going to be able to transact generally in the time frame that the contract is laid out. You know, sometimes it is the lender, maybe it's the loan broker, or maybe it's the attorney. There's a lot of variables, a lot of people that are involved in transacting a property. Sometimes it's a deliberate fault. Sometimes it's just like, well, that's the way it, it happened. Like no, nobody was malicious in their intent. You don't always know that at the time though. Sometimes it comes in a postmortem. Yeah, for sure. Well, what are the best ways to go about building solid, good, and trusting relationships with our brokers? I think being in touch with, with a broker and, and building a relationship, this is a relationship business and buying a deal and doing what you said is the best way to build a relationship and to build that trust. And even if it's like, I have some clients who I haven't transacted with, but I know from their or prospective clients rather 
I know from their reputation and market that they're good and trustworthy and worthy of me spending time on and bringing deals to. So it's like you said, word gets out one way or the other. So that's been my experience. Well, what do you mean when you say buy a deal from us? It turns out that deals are listed and they want to trade. It's the reason, of course, that they're listed. So what do you mean by that? Sure. So oftentimes we'll get somebody call us that will say, okay, they're, they're calling about a given property that we have listed. Well, what else do you have? What do you have off market? And you know that is a, a great way to just kind of turn off the relationship. You know, when a property is listed actively, that means the seller wants to sell. So talk about building trust and relationship. A quick no is better than a slow maybe any day of the week. And, you know, that helps both sides identify what you want and what what you don't want. So that way I know if you're looking for B and C class workforce housing with the value add opportunity, I can bring that to you when I have something like that versus if I have a new construction A class deal that's just going to be essentially a coupon clipper, I know not to bring that to you. And so that's where that quick no comes in. Whereas if you're kind of kicking tires on almost everything. It's like, what is this guy really after? And then even if we haven't transacted, but I I know, or I feel that I can generally trust this group, well, then that's where the the value add, or I'm sorry, the uh, off-market deals showing of those comes into play. You know, it doesn't come myself or any other broker, if they're they're any good, isn't going to drop their pants for you on the first call, just because you said, hey, what do you have off-market? It's just, you got to prove that you're worthy. Of, of the time, because at the end of the day, all any of us have is time. And I don't want to waste my time. I certainly don't want to waste yours. So you do have off-market deals and you are going to bring those to people whom you trust, people who have a either you have worked with or either you know of their reputation and you know you can trust them, you know they can bring the deal to closing. How frequently do you get off-market deals and why do you have an off-market deal as opposed to taking it all the way to a listing? Sure. So as a seller, the best way to get the best price in terms is to actively market the deal. But Mm -hmm. there may be instances or situations where the marketing of a deal might not be in the cards at that given moment. Maybe they want a quick transaction and they're, they're leaving or they're willing to so to speak, leave some money on the table. Uh, the other instance with off-market deals is they're off-market for a reason because probably the guy's just hanging out. Maybe it's worth eight and he wants 10. And well, it's off-market because you know the, the delta between where we think he can actually sell and where he says he's a seller is not there. So that's, you know, that's something to be careful in the off-market. You want to make sure that a deal is deliverable if you're being presented something, or in my case, if I'm presenting something to somebody, it's, hey, I don't know if this is truly deliverable, or yes, this is. So it's really learning the story behind the deal and why why somebody wants to sell. So it's not that you just get an off-market deal. Like we underwrite a couple hundred thousand deals a year, maybe, but we're not taking a thousand properties to market. Sometimes it's working with the owner on a monthly or quarterly basis to you know help them improve their operations so that we can get to that place. Oftentimes, that's, that's why a deal doesn't come fully to market. 
sometimes they're just not ready. Sometimes they're just too far off on price and not really going to do anything to improve it. So it's like, all right, well, I understand that that's your price, but I think we're just too far off and I don't think it's a good fit right sort of thing. So just because it's off market does not mean that it's a better deal than if it actually came to the market and came to a listing situation. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's off market for a reason because it's not specifically ready for sale. And if you need a perfect deal to be lined up, there's often hair on these off market deals. And that's where value can be added and created, but you have to be able to get comfortable with it. If guidance is say 13, but you're at 10 and a half, well, it doesn't matter because we're not going to be able to make that deal. You know, guidance is there for a reason. Like that's what it's going to take to get the deal done. Well, interesting there. Well, Stash, tell our viewers and listeners how it is that they can get in touch with you and uh, what it is, what are some of the services that you offer? Sure. So Capstone is Capstone Companies is, is the name of the firm that I'm with, or the largest multifamily, privately held multifamily investment sale firm in the country. Present, we have, I believe, 13 offices in 10 states, about 50 brokers or so through the market. We're Midwest, Southeast, all the way into Denver and Oklahoma City is kind of generally our territory at this point. And our company website is capstone-companies.com. What sets us apart is that we're really big on the culture and the values, uh, team before self, embrace the chaos, ego check at the door, sorts of things, whereas other firms might not have that. They might buy a broker for you know five years and you know, in five years, if there's somebody else with a bigger number on that contract, they're going to switch shops. So we don't function in that way. And the team shows that it's a positive thing. Uh, so, you know, you can get in touch with us through the website. My email is stash, S-T-A-S-H at capstone-companies.com. The best number to reach me at is 513-506-2872. And you can find me on LinkedIn under Stash Galazinski. Just do a search for that. I think I'm the only one that shows up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's not the most common name around. Right. Well, Stash, you had uh, started out by telling us that you really got your start in uh, commercial real estate in Southern California. There's got to be a story here that took you from uh, sunny Southern California to Cincinnati, Ohio. So tell us. What happened there? Sure. So like I mentioned, I, I started in, I got my real estate license in February of 08. So, you know, I was excited, ready to go. And, and the world was kind of shutting down, but I didn't know it. I was there and excited. And so we were going to buy, fast forward, the guy I was working for and it became working with, we were going to syndicate a couple of properties and we did. But I remember that one Thursday or Friday morning, I woke up, Washington Mutual is going to fund our loan on a 33 unit we were buying. And I woke up and, and heard Washington Mutual has just declared bankruptcy and you know has been seized by federal regulators. And I was like, I don't know a whole lot, but I know that that's not a good thing. So we were able to get that deal done through uh, a seller financing mechanism. And the two properties that we did syndicate together, we were able to get our investors out whole generally. My partner that I was working with, he's like, listen, I've, I've got a wife, I have a baby on the way and you know, I can't, you know, real estate brokerage is a commission only thing. 
So he was like, I, I got to go find something else. And I was like, all right, well, I get it. I understand. So I joined a different brokerage because it was a small shop and he was one of the two partners and there was no really more reason for me to stay there. And so I, through that, that new broker network, I found a couple of properties here in Cincinnati. They were heavy workforce housing C-class deals, but there were 25 caps. And this is when Southern California was at seven caps. And I was like, that's, that's amazing. And so I came here to essentially manage the manager. We haven't touched on it, but going back to trust, you have to be able to trust that your property manager is looking out for your best interest because especially in the grittier properties, it gets real easy to just take the rent checks or take the rent in cash. And, you know, sorry, boss, especially if you're across the country, sorry, that unit's, that unit's vacant. We just can't lease it. Well, you don't know that. So, you know, you, you live and die by your management is what I've, what I've seen. And, I, and knowing that, that is what brought me out here. I met my wife, my, my now wife, a few months later. And, you know, that's really what cemented me. But that's why I'm here. I, you know, came here for a deal. Yeah, well, interesting how life has its ups and downs. And speaking of ups and downs, I just one last question. This is actually a multi-layered question, but share with us what are your most difficult setbacks in life? And that could have something to do with entrepreneurialism and with real estate or other aspects of your life. And how'd you come through that difficult time? And what was the lesson you took from that? I have a number of setbacks in life. Be it in business, it's make sure that you really understand what you're getting into, be that real estate or, or a traditional operating business. Because like I said, things can go bad quickly. And when they do, that can be painful and stressful and trying. You know, So make sure you do your research and your due diligence ahead of time instead of tr- trying to get in and, and learn it on the fly. I'd say that's probably the best, best advice I have. Well, Stash, it's been a pleasure having you today. Very informative. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Alan. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to Real Estate Investing Abundance, brought to you by Steve Talker Capital, a company working for passionate professionals like you to develop financial independence built on solid, passive real estate investments. As part of our efforts to make the world a better place, Steve Talker Capital contributes to activities and organizations committed to better understand the equine. These endeavors attempt to enhance the human treatment of horses worldwide. Steve Talker Capital, working for a world where all creatures, great and small, flourish abundantly. For resources to develop your financial independence, connect with us at stevetalker.com. 